What is up? What is good? How you living? How you doing? Mahalo. Hi. L-E-F-K-O-E. Man. Uh, back after a solid break. I would say the longest break in the show's history. Uh, things happened. A marriage happened. A honeymoon happened. Things are happening. Um, but also... Uh, Today is is one of those fucking weird days where there's like some shit uh, that comes with an explanation. Um, but before we do anything like that, I just want to say, David Ingber, your haircut looks great. Your Thank beard you. looks phenomenal. Like there are times where I see your actor shot, like your like what would be like a headshot, and this is a headshot day. Thanks. Uh, my daughter is increasingly interested in various things that I do to get ready to leave the house. She loves watching me put my contact lenses in. She loves watching me uh, sort of like take scissors and try to trim little hairs as they're coming out over my ears. And uh, yesterday she just sat there for about 20 minutes and watched me trim my beard and her like jaw was on the floor. She thought it was the most interesting thing ever. I stood in the bathtub and she was just watching hair fall off my face and she had never seen anything like that before. And I, it was a good reminder that uh, something that you've never seen before, no matter how mundane it is to you when seen by a three or four year old is the greatest thing to watch. What are the odds that you walk in the bathroom and she is fake shaving with like toothpaste on her face? <laughs> she now everything is a comb. Everything is a comb, mm. a pencil, a fork, a whatever, you name it. She is taking it and she's rubbing the side of her head with it. And she's saying, I have to comb my hair like mama. I have to comb my hair. Mm. How old is she now? About to turn four. Oh, my goodness. So now I'm realizing you remember like this is how we first met was having a conversation like this. About children? Families and shit. Sure. Like, um, all right, I'm just going to do it. Um, okay, so uh, when the Lefko show became the Lefko show after Sims and Lefko, and then after like a year or two, uh, David came in, he was doing, uh, you really started off doing a lot of Ditch the Playbook. Right. It was, I got brought in to do uh, sort of 50, 50, the podcast or dish the playbook and sort of ramp up whatever element of that was more, more happening that week. So there were definitely weeks where it was 150% on dish the playbook. And then uh, when that wrapped, it became much more about the the podcast and some other bleacher report projects for oh, me. Man. But it, I mean, it, it all started off with a bang with Muhammad Sanu throwing it for 71 and a half yards after we talked about it on the pod. But yeah, uh, the reason I and the reason I say this is how we t talked the first time. I remember when you got brought in, we sat in the green room in an office that I haven't seen in, in two years, and I swear to God, the first two days we just talked about life and comedy and like I don't know, just like so many good conversations. And I'm getting sappy uh, because uh, I think it was like a year and a half ago, two years ago, uh, they made the video of the Lefko show Facebook exclusive. Uh, it was part of a bigger deal. Um, if I was going to be very candid, wasn't a big fan of it. All of our video audience was on YouTube. Facebook was very kind to us. All the people that were at Bleach Report that worked with Facebook were super good with it. Uh, but in that process, uh, David got linked up with the Facebook deal somehow, and that deal just came to an end. And so uh, we got kind of informed, um, and David was informed, I guess, that this is coming to an end. Um, the having David on the podcast, what he's been with us for 
the fuck up. Like he's been with me. I feel like I feel like I've shit. Um, it's been just over two years that I've been uh, at Bleacher Report with you since uh, May of 2019. And then the Facebook deal kicked in about six months later. So it has been an 18 month deal. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a good project. Facebook has been a great partner. Um, and I'm, like, like most deals, they come to an end at some point. Yeah. Um, okay. I was going to try and do a podcast and then do this, but it just came out. Um, first and foremost, appreciate everything that you've done. Um, I thought working on Ditch the Playbook was one of the craziest projects that I've ever done because we literally planned, booked, shot, and did everything in about three and a half weeks right before the season started. And it was awesome. I thought there were there were so many moments that that really translated. Me and you and I uh, and a few other people were on the road. Uh, just you know, Sean McManus, just driving all over California, having a great time doing the podcast. Sean McVeigh, the Ditch the Playbook episode with Sean McVeigh was freaking enormous, you know. Um, but uh, it was super dope. And then when you became a regular on the podcast. Uh, other than the fact that that you ruined an opportunity for me to be best friends with Brian Westbrook, <laughs> jumping in there like one of the best Eagles ever, um, the, your your mindset, the direction that you brought it in, uh, your understanding of things like advanced statistics and like just bringing an intelligent conversation. The number one compliment that I give people that I mean is I like the way your brain works. And I mean that, I don't, that was weird. I don't know why I cried more there, but this fucking sucks. I'm going to miss you. And I love you a lot. I'm going to miss you too. I'm going to miss this show. I'm going to miss the 33%. Um, and you know what you said about us sitting in the green room and talking about life. I could tell instantaneously that you're the sort of person that likes to work with certain people. You don't ask about skill sets. You just like to work with certain people that it's like, let's get the right people together for a show and then we'll figure it out from there. It's not necessarily like you could look at someone's resume and be like, all right, this person has done X, Y, and Z. So now let's just talk to them. And uh, I like that curiosity that you bring to life. That's why you're a good interviewer. And that's why you're a good host because you have this natural curiosity and it, it comes across in everything you do. And I've, I've enjoyed being a part, like I was basically brought in because because Chris Sims was leaving, and I think they wanted you to have somebody to bounce ideas off of and to help execute ideas. And so a lot of a lot of what I was brought in to do was to take your curiosity and put it on the page or put it on the screen or put it into uh, people's podcasting app. And that's been a, a joy to do, and I've 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 loved it. It's been a great job. Um, and in terms, let me let's just wrap up the business. Um, in terms of the pod, I, th this is the first time that, that the show in whatever form, um, is going to be taking a pause. Uh, I asked the powers that be, I said, I'm not lying to people. I said, so you need to tell me right now, is it coming back? Cause I'll just, if it's shutting it down, it's shutting it down. They said, no, it is definitely not. They said, we, we, for the first time, just kind of want to step back and calibrate. And I, there's a lot of transitions going on right now. I mean, this is a company that was Turner. First of all, it was Bleacher Report when I got there with Turner. Then they got taken over by Warner Media. Then they were bought by AT&T. 
Then they were recently sold to Discovery. It's changed a lot. And with that comes a lot of power structures. Um, and I've been told that the podcast uh, in some form is always going to be valued and that they just want to get more of the people that are working with in the other podcasts they have, whether it's Steam Room or um, the Shack podcast, they just kind of want to get in a room and talk about it. And so I'm, 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 I'm down to play ball because um, I'll be honest, just for me, the Tuesday show was crazy. The we're going to, I'm supposedly shooting another season of underrated coming up. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I wish, I wish you were there in some form. Uh, I'll just, I'll, I'll say it blatantly and openly. I think that you bring amazing ideas to the table. I think every project that you work on, you are diligent. I think that you're a leader. Uh, and I think that you understand process. Uh, so it would have been nice to have you. Um, and I just want to kind of say that, that whoever, wherever you go next, it's going to be a fucking just monster. And I know you got some, some stuff in the work right now. And I, I know it's, it's super exciting, but like, um, I don't know. I know I'm going to be jealous. I know I'm going to see you working with people and be like, fuck that. Fuck those people. I, know I appreciate that. And I do hope that, uh, when, when I am able to talk about the things that I am working on behind the scenes right now, um, I hope, you know, that I can, I can tell you either on this podcast or just via text to, to let you know and, and let the 33% know what I'm up to. Yeah, why didn't you tell me that um, marrying your best friend is like the dopest shit in the game? Like, wow. Like, I went in thinking wedding, getting married was going to be like a process because everyone just keeps giving you this. They keep giving you advice as though it's the worst day ever. Like, hey, whenever you can eat food, just eat it. Because you don't know when you're going to be able to eat again. People said stuff like that to me before. I was like, you know what? You're the freaking star of the show. It's It was the one experience I've ever had where I was like Tom Cruise on the set where people would follow my lead. If I wanted something and I was like, hey, friend of mine, would you mind like going to grab me a beer? Oh yeah, no problem. You're busy, man. So they would go and grab me a beer and then hand me a beer. And I'd be like, I, I feel like I'm the freaking first on the, the call list. So and you really enjoyed it too. Yeah, I had a great day at my wedding. I mean, there was definitely some some nerves, some butterflies, you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, for anyone that tells you that like your wedding has to be a stressful experience, it is, it does not have to be, it can be, but there, there are things that you can do. There are steps that you can take to keep it from being that. I should have known that you would be somebody that would go, Oh, it's my time to star because that's what your wedding is. And so I want to break, and I was not planning on talking about this, but now that you're so in on it with me, I want to break this notion that everybody has that your wedding is this stressful day that's quote, not for you. It's for everybody else, which is another thing that I heard all of the time. No, actually it's everybody else focused on you. And if you can handle that, it's a lot of fun. It's really fun to walk in and everyone's like, yo, and you're like, Oh my God, this is epic. Like I love this. And I think that a lot of people, they just, they have like a wedding planner that's like, you need to go here and stand there and do this. They have a photographer that's like, no, not like that. Don't stand like that, blah, blah. But the thing is, if you just go in there and you just go, take my picture, I'm gonna give you some looks today. You know what I mean? Like you have fun with it. They're all working for you. I don't know. I, and, then, and then when you actually get to look at somebody and you're like, hell yeah. Like this is a, this is a person that like, yep, nailed it. This is great. 
you know, it's, it's, it's epic, man. Do you know um, what the things are that you need in order to have a wedding? Ooh. Okay. Some form of ring. Sure. It can literally be a piece of dental floss cut into a circle sure, if you sure. want. In a circle, in a circle. Uh, an efficient, mm-hmm. a witness, mm-hmm. and I think that's it. Two willing people. And two willing people. Yeah, 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 yeah. two willing people. Um, that's it. So when you start from that point and people say, oh, you, you can't have a wedding without $50,000 worth of flowers. Oh, you can't have a wedding with under 100 people. Oh, you can't. Actually, you can because all you really need is the four people and a ring uh, of some kind. And when I you, think, w- when you keep that in mind as a mantra, it definitely yes. helps. Look, you can have all sorts of stuff. You can have a wall, a wall full of donuts or whatever. Donut the, wall, get <laughs> the fancy things that are at all these weddings. And don't get me wrong. They're hilarious and awesome. You don't have to have a DJ. You don't have to have a band. You don't have to have a dance floor. You don't have to have dinner. You don't have to have any of these things. You can, but just starting from the point that in order to get married, which is the whole point of the day, you need the barest of bare bones. Then it frees you up to think, well, what do I want to have there? Not what am I supposed to have? What, what, what are people going to get mad at me for not having? And that, that I think is the big distinction is because um, I think, you know, be, people get married at the courthouse. People do that. We did a big wedding and it was mainly because that's what we wanted. Like we, we knew and, Listen, it was supposed to be bigger. We had 65% of our guest list cut because of COVID. Of course. We got lucky that two days before the wedding, New York was like, and now you can have weddings again. Like the timing dude was insane. Like, like literally two days before. So you had sent out all the invites and said, let's hope that New York opens up by the time this date happens? Well, we sent out our original number. Then we had to send out... Uh, text messages to 65% being like, I'm sorry, please disregard that. Shoot me in the face. That's brutal. Because what you learn is, is that married people are very understanding and they're like, totally get it. Just hope you're happy. And you're like, Oh, thanks. And then, you know, I invited, I invited one guy. People, people (laughs) that are not married are like, did I do something wrong? And it's like, no, it hasn't. It is. It, it, it's not, it's, I'm not choosing a friend over you. It's you are my aunt Harriet. And like, I, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like it's, it's you and like my dad's business partner. Like I don't have, I, I have in essence, 12.5% of this guest list is how much I have. It's crazy. No, I was going to say that uh, there was at some point you have to make cuts, no matter if your number is 50 people or 100 people or 300 people. At some point, you're going to have to make horrible cuts and horrible decisions. It's the same thing as the college football playoffs, whether you have four teams or eight teams, there's <laughs> exactly. going to be one person like what the hell. Exactly. And so at a certain point, you have to make these excruciating decisions. And we started making our decisions not necessarily based on who could or couldn't make it. It was more just on who's going to be most OK with us explaining this to them. And there ended up being two different people that were at my bachelor party that weren't at my wedding because they're my close friends. But I knew that they would totally get it when I texted them to be like, look, man, I have to invite X number of people. I can't cut you. And they were like, that's no problem, man. The bachelor party is going to be awesome. I was like, great. Thank you for understanding. That was my friend, Adian. I ordained his wedding and I couldn't invite him because the numbers didn't add up. And I was like, please come to the bachelor party. Like, please, let's figure this out. But um it was it was awesome, and then um, the one thing I'll say about Hawaii, um, I experienced the greatest week of toilet use in the history of my life. 
Okay. And I'll never go back. They had on this one this one hotel in Lanai, like one of those like six thousand dollar toilets that like has a remote control on the wall. Ah. And I'm just gonna let you know. Everything else is uncivilized. It's disgusting. Once you experience that, it's like sitting in like Delta One, and then you're like, you're like, wait, these seats like all the way flat, and you can, you're just gonna serve me drinks the whole time, and like I can watch, I can watch live TV, and it doesn't falter at all. Like that toilet, David Ingber. One team bidet. And I'm, I'm not giving too much information. I'm just saying to everybody out there right now, it is not about weird stuff. It is about the fact that you should have a clean bottom. And I, I, I'll never, I, I'm thinking about buying a $6,000 toilet. I don't have the funds right now. I just had a wedding, but I think that instead of a 529 for my future kids college education, I think I might start investing in toilets. Can you start referring to one of your Luka Doncic rookie cards as your bidet? Or like, this is, this is my future bidet. Like I'm going to, I'm going to trade this in for a fancy ass toilet at some point. You know what? Now's a great point to, to talk about something since we're not, I'm not going to be talking for who knows how long it's going to be interesting. Follow me on social at Adam Lefko. Um, the, I had to sell a few cards for the wedding. Hmm. But it made me think of some stuff that we've talked about. That's the reason you have them. It's the reason that you have assets is I went, oh, wow. You know what? If I sell these cards, I can cover the DJ, most of the honeymoon and all this and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I went, oh, and, the, and they've gone up. Okay. It was, it was nice because it's, you know, some people, the, the, what's the, the big thing that everyone says right now is hodl. Hold on for dear life. I got diamond hands. I got, I got very flexible hands. You know what I mean? If life needs some stuff, then we, then we do it. That's how it goes. Yeah. There are people, you're going to see confirmation bias. If you're a crypto holder, you're going to see confirmation bias all over the message boards where someone will say like, look, you know, I had it. I bought it at a thousand. I sold at 42,000. I don't care that it went up to 49,000. I sold at 42,000 and I, uh, I bought a house or I put a pe- down payment yeah. down on this or that. It's like, live your life. If, if, you, if you got out at a certain point and you feel like you might've missed out on future earnings, but you hit a certain benchmark, good for you. That is, uh, don't, let, don't let people diamond hands shame you into doing something that takes care of you and yours. If you haven't seen the Bo Burnham uh, Netflix special yet, which I know you haven't, and you, I know you will inside, um, there was one part where he was talking about, you know, the outdoor world is really just a place to capture content to publish on the very much more important digital world that exists. So just kind of go out there, gather your content, come back in, and just upload it, because that's what really matters. And I, I feel the same way about money. Money is a tool. It is, it is not, you know, it's, it's not um, Peloton. It's not your score. You know, you're not in competition with anybody. It's a tool to make your life amazing. And however you can do that is the way to do it. And now I'm talking about all this other shit. I think you're going to like this quote from uh, Eddie Izzard. He okay. said that a capitalist will make something in order to make money. And he said he's a creativist. He makes money so that he can go out and make stuff. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, because it's... Um, so uh, Emmys were last night. I had no idea. I just got six text messages and 
my manager, John, had asked me in the afternoon, hey, can you do the NBA Twitter show? And so I got six text messages and I went, ah, oh, crap. I guess I forgot to log on. Like I was watching the Sixers game. And then they were like, no, the Tuesday show won an Emmy. And I was like, shut the fuck. I was like, that was like, that was tonight? Like I had no idea. Huge congratulations um, for that, by the way. It's, you know what's it, thank you. You know what's interesting is, um, the reason I'm proud is it was about digital integration. And so it really was about which show interacted with the internet the best. And the fact that it was a bunch of different segments we have done, including, including like Give Them Their Roses, which was like something that we were using Reddit. That was cool. But I, I don't know why I've been thinking about this recently. Um, I think sometimes people get so caught up in reaching milestones and awards and maybe it's because I just got married and marriage is one of those things where some people are like, I just want to be married. Some people are like, I just want to be an Emmy winner. Some people say, I want to have this job. You are the same person when you get there as when you, as when you leave. And it's funny, like Ernie won his third straight best host. He's won a six overall. If you really look at it, though, like Bob Costas has won that award like 25 times. It's disgusting. Bob Costas is a freaking animal. Like Bob Costas is like the warrior. So people don't even realize it. But um, I, I was saying all of this to say, because um, now I'm thinking about life. If you, if you are not enjoying the journey or the process, the creative making, as you were talking about before, if all of it is, I want to make a million dollars, you are going to get there and then you're going to be like, now what? And I just, it's the, it's the truest fucking shit, man. Figure out who you are. Enjoy doing it every day. And in the words of the Phoenix Suns back in the mid 2000s with Mike, Dan and Tony, the ball finds energy. That's how they ran their offense. The ball, if you're hot, the ball comes to you. And I think that as, as long as you're executing and living uh, in your purpose, things like money, things like uh, all that the acclaim and all of that stuff naturally finds you because it's because you're like the process. Like when, when I can already tell when you're writing, whether it's a musical, whether it's a sketch uh, whether it's a concept, I know that David, my guess would be you hit a level of deep work where you're buzzing. Like I, like I bet you there's like a force field around you. And then like when it's done, it's done. And like, the, it's like, it's like a pen like drops and you're like, I've like, you've created something like you have that and that energy, you know? Uh, yeah. When I, when I'm putting together something like a one pager or a description of a show, if you were to sit and watch me from over my shoulder, it would look like about 20 to 30 minutes of work. But I promise you, I've been thinking about it for about 10 days. And then I'm finally ready to put it onto paper. Right. And I remember um, I was reading, there was some blog by a, a, a designer and he was saying that his clients ask him all the time, why does it cost so much? This is only going to take you an hour. Or it's only going to take you a day. And he's like, no, it's going to take me about 15 years of my experience and then a day to do it. Right. Yeah. And uh, that that stuck with me, because no matter what it is you're doing, you might be able to, quote unquote, dash something off. But what you're really doing is putting everything that you have, everything you've learned, every experience you've had into this thing so that you can do it efficiently and professionally. Can I ask you a random question, please? You 
you worked um, after this i'm never going to respond to your text again so you better get everything out now good good um you you worked in the uh sort of like under the snl and the digital world uh you led departments over there um what was the name of it again above average was the comedy show uh, the comedy the sort of the comedy playground within Lorne michael's company and then the, the kicker was the sports jericho one. online um, I actually don't know. There was a whole bunch of the stuff that got sold to, it's funny. It's on my television. Now they like all the above average sketch package got sold yeah. to some TV Stop. distributor. So, so it's like, it's like, I can't find certain things on YouTube, but I can find them randomly on a smart TV. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if that exists anymore. Did you see the Chris Jericho piece? Yes. It was one of my favorite ones. I was like, I was like, David is literally creating a song with Chris Jericho live. And I was like, it, there was just an era in the mid-2010s where there was so much good content being made, but the distribution centers weren't around yet. Mm-hmm. Like it was, everybody was living on their own websites and it, we weren't in like, we were still in like a desktop world. We hadn't moved to a mobile world yet where everything became posted on social. Now it's just every account they're really just creating things to turn into two minute and 10 second clips to put on Twitter. Like that's all they do. But you, you were before it was like, Oh, I'm going to go to college humor for an hour or two. I'm going to go to above average. I'm going to go to the kicker. You know, now people don't operate like that anymore. You experienced it like that. Then you came to bleach report where you quietly did everything like from gridiron heights to ditch the playbook to working with me to like be our gridiron as a whole and like working with sales and all this stuff. I'm just curious, where do you think we are right now in this landscape? Cause it, it feels to me a little one note where I feel like everyone's kind of doing the same thing. It's like create a lot of content, chop it up and make it quippy. And I'm just curious what you think, because you've seen this evolve a lot. I definitely have seen it evolve a lot. And I would say the defining feature of that era you were talking about, let's call it from like 2011 to 2016, was sort of the teenage years of the internet where we weren't young internet anymore. We weren't the Wild West. There were plenty of corporations that were figuring out how do we monetize this, right? But at the same time, that meant that if they found a monetization route, everyone flocked to that thing really quickly. And then the other, the real, like the monetization was over here now. And so everyone flocked to that. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of marketing meetings and sales meetings where it was like, actually guys, we're not focused on this anymore. Now everything's about, can we get more views on Instagram TV? Oh, actually it's not that anymore. Now we just need to build up our Facebook following. Actually, it's not that anymore. Now, you know what I mean? So there was this constant- video was- crazy. There was this constant re-optimization that was happening and it was changing the way people thought about content where it went from, all right, we need to have really premium six minute videos on YouTube to actually, no, we need really, really quick 90 second videos. Actually, we need videos that are hilarious, even if they don't have any dialogue to them. Actually, we, you know what I mean? And it close captioning is everything. And it's one thing if you're a small nimble team and you can change, but if your entire business is structured around certain things and you've got certain deals in place, it can be very challenging as a creator creator or as a producer, um, and you, you find yourself chasing after certain things. And after, you know, the, that expression of it's difficult to turn a tanker around uh, in a puddle, because if you're, if you're used to doing something and you hire people for a certain thing, and then all of a sudden the rules are slightly different, 
uh, how do you how do you adapt? It's very difficult, and some companies do it much better than others for sure. But I do see that happening. And when you say like it feels like we're stuck in one thing, that's actually something that we were praying would happen eight, ten years ago. We're like, oh, can we just we're good at this one lane right now? Let's hope that this gravy train lasts forever, and then inevitably three months later it wouldn't. I feel like you're a good uh, observer of content. Who do you, who do you think's making stuff right now? That's that's entertaining you the most. Um, well, the streamers are really sucking up a lot of great talent, right? Like the Netflixes, the Paramount Pluses, the Amazons. Yes. They're they're getting these people where you're like, oh, this actor, oh, this person was starring in an HBO show, and now they're in this streaming site that I didn't know was as big as as it actually is. So they they're the ones that have the money behind it, and I don't know. It's kind of like we went from this era of YouTube is a mishmash of everything to, oh my God, there's some crazy talented people on YouTube. And now are we going to turn them into TV shows or are we going to allow them to do the thing that they're already doing on YouTube? And I know that TikTok, that's slowly going to start happening where uh, like right now people sort of derisively say, oh, he or she is just a TikTok star. But we know that that person is going to get their own HBO show and it's going to be a hit. And all of a sudden that's going to become a mainstream term that they, it's going to become a realistic roadmap to go from TikTok star to mainstream uh, old school television star. Well, it's, I, there was an article, I think it was in the New York Times, like in the last two days about how TikTok stars are complaining about how exhausting it is to be a TikTok star. Oh my God, to, I can't imagine. And to edit and produce and to publish and to ideate. And I am not saying that they don't have a reason to be upset but that is the life of a content creator. Mm -hmm. The life of a content creator is creating content. And there, and I don't think people understand the process. I don't think people understand the amount of people that are not on the screen right now. The people that are recording audio, the people that are recording individual shots, the person that's going to edit this entire thing together, the people then that are going to publish it, the people then that are going to put captions on it. Like, and, and, the, the idea, the, the true notion is, is that everyone that's on this call right now, that's, let me see who I have here. That's Tracy, Mark, who's not here, but Ashley, Matt, Jake, I, David. The, the true thing is, is everyone that works in content can typically do every single job. Like if you, if, if David was, if I was like, David, you need to put a show together yourself. I feel like you could do it. But it's the team collective as a whole that makes it happen because otherwise everybody's like, this is insane. Like to do all of it, like, and now this is my long roundabout saying of this is why you need to watch Bo Burnham's special because it's a man doing all of it at the highest level at, of all of the things. Um, but I just, I look at it now and I'm like, okay, the big shows, like let's let's say who it is. It would probably be, uh, PM, uh, pardon my take. It would be uh, McAfee. Uh, I'm trying to get to the view gallery view. Okay, um, and there's and there's um, there's a lot on like YouTube and stuff that are big. I'm just re just everybody goes on every day, and it's just like, what are we talking about? And I I don't know like I don't know how you feel, but like when I watch things that are produced over a longer period of time that are not just reacting to everything that happens every day. It just hits me. It just hits me more. Like 
I'd, I'd rather watch a really well-produced series than this, like, let's talk about yesterday. I don't, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's because of what's happened the last two years where every day has felt like the same that I really don't need to hear everyone's opinions all the time. Um, but I just, I think about the things that we've done that were really produced and we sat down and I'm like, that's the best stuff that we made. You know what I mean? Like trivia was great because you busted your ass and it was awesome. But I just, that's the thing in content right now where I just, I'm seeing people go through their reels in the airport and it's like 15 second videos of like a TikTok song and then like just someone doing a thing. And then, and it was like, that wasn't funny, but it wasn't bad. It was like in this middle ground of it just was a thing. And I, I just, uh, what is being passed off as content right now, I think is embarrassing is what I think I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put all of content into a bucket, you know, uh, oh, as you know, like no, of course. all sorts of people are doing all sorts of things for different purposes. I mean, this morning I dropped my daughter off at preschool and I just wanted to listen to people talk about how the Suns game, won game one. That was all I wanted to listen to was just listen to two people who watched the game and got together with a microphone and they rapped about it for about 45 minutes. That's exactly what I wanted in that moment. And that's what I got. So to, to say that like that content, you know, doesn't it, Yes, you're right. Like a, a series like Game of Thrones that took thousands of people and gazillions oh. of dollars and all this work and planning, that is its own thing. And then there's this other place that's special in my heart for two guys talking about a thing. Yeah, I guess, I don't know if you, I, I just only want to hear from people that really know what they're talking about anymore. I think I've just reached a point uh, with my consuming habits where it's like people that are just reacting I'm just, unless I love them as people, like we talked mm -hmm. about like big cat and PM, like, like PFT is going to say things that I've never heard before. <laughs> and it's going to make me laugh because I've never thought of phrasing things like that. You know what I mean? Like it has to be a different experience, but um, I think the part of the reason I'm saying is that I haven't used social media that much in the last two or three weeks. And so coming back yesterday and like I had six emails in my inbox about two former athletes starting a podcast and how I had to listen because the initial numbers were huge from like different PR people. And I was like, I don't need to hear from all of these people. So I think I was sensitive to it. I think that's the reason I brought it. This is actually, this is a good idea. This is a movie that you should write. Uh, it's someone who's sort of disenchanted by instantaneous content. So he wants to turn his life into a well-produced content machine so he wants to have a conversation with his wife and she's like hey honey how was your day he's like no 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 that's too simplified i need you to go back into your room i need you to really think about what it is that you need from me and then i'm going to present to you something give me a couple of weeks i want to get some color i want to get an easel i want to really like give you a nice presentation of how my and day I was come back i come back and it's like a feature film about tuesday <laughs> right. june 8th like here's how my tuesday day. an adam lefko production uh yeah, I think that's what it is. I think I wasn't on my phone using social media and it's been so jarring coming back, David, that I can't fucking handle it. I can't <laughs> handle it. There's going to be a lot of jarring moments for us over the next 18 months as we go from, okay, we've all been completely at home to now we're sort of not so much at home. And then we're going to, at some point, life is going to look completely normal. It's like life is going to look exactly like it did in 2018. It's going to slowly but surely happen. And you're not going to realize it, but all of a sudden that that slight fear that you have walking into a barber shop or walking into a grocery store or visiting 10 friends at the same time, that's going to slowly dissipate 
you know, one little chunk at a time until one day you look around and you're like, oh my God, this is, this is me again. But there's going to be a lot of jarring steps along the way where you're like, can I take off my mask here at Madison Square Garden? I will, or, I will say this. I'll tell you what's jarring. Spending most of my time these last few months between Atlanta and New York, whose mentality about masks could not be more oh, sure. different. But what's really interesting is because I've, I lived, I've lived in New York now for about seven or eight years, I know what commuting in New York is like. And I actually think part of the reason why people in New York City wear a mask is it's become part of the armor of New Yorkers. <laughs> If you haven't lived in New York, you do not understand the different energy that is required to get up and leave your house compared to if you live somewhere else. Mm. David Ingber used to travel to New York. Now he is in a beautiful suburb. When he leaves his house, he walks out to his car, he grabs the keys, it's beautiful. When he would go to the city, it's as if he is one of Spartans 300s, shining his shield, armoring his shins to avoid low spears. And you literally like look at your partner and you look at them and you go, I'm going out. And they go, okay. It's like, it's different. <laughs> this is experience. funny. Yeah. It's like, you have to, you have to think about like, how high do I hold my umbrella so that it doesn't bump yes. against someone else's umbrella and you end up in a you fist are, fight. You're visualizing. Okay. It's three blocks until I get to the two train. And then when right. I get there, I'm going to, I'm going to try and go to the fourth car because that's usually a quiet car, like all that stuff. But I'm just saying that walking around New York, I was stunned at the amount of people that were surrounded by zero people that were wearing one. And when I began to realize, I was like, this is their armor. I was like, because it is nice going into the subway with your face covered. Because the true thing is, is nobody wants to be seen as they're going through New York. Nobody. Men, women, nobody. They put their heads down. And so now that it's just this in New York, it's just a bunch of sub-zeros and scorpions like walking around. And it's, but I get it because that's how New York is. It's yeah. just a different energy. And fake smiling is a lot less painful when you just have to do it a little bit with your eyes. Okay, here, cover your mouth and nose and then see if I can tell that you're smiling at me. Interesting. I actually thought that you were like intrigued by me. So like, I'm just going to warn you, like that kind of came off that you were wanting to talk to me. No, I'm just saying like when uh, I, I was at I was at a liquor it's store. Because now hold on, I'm paranoid that I think I'm smiling with my eyes at people, but it doesn't seem like that. That's my, one of the things I'm paranoid about. <laughs> All right, hold on, hold on. <laughs> this is this is the clip this is good content right here this is content 18 months in the making we got a mask we got props coming out okay this is me smiling at somebody that i'm walking on the street this is the first time i'm seeing if it actually looks like i'm smiling hold on let me set you up with like a a folksy quip that would cause you to fake smile okay oh this, this is just me passing people like even if we're not talking you okay know, like you know that face that you make at people you're like yes exactly Okay, so let me see what it actually looks like. All right, so I'm passing I'm just like. No, that was oh, that aggressive. Was that was very yeah. aggressive. You just stuck your head out and your eyes didn't change. It just looked like you were oh. aggressively oh, fighting. I do this, me. I do this, I do this, I do. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. be able to tell. You might be bobbing see, your head to music. This, was, this has been my fear. For the last 18 months, I thought I've been smiling at people on the street, but really they're like, this creepy guy is trying to headbutt me. <laughs> Damn. Oh, I'll be happy when these things are done. That's for sure. sure. Um, can you give anybody a taste of what's coming next or no? 
I'd rather not because there are a few things in the air. Um, but I, you'll, you'll be the first to know, I promise. Well, no, my wife, my parents, uh, some other people will be the first yeah, to know. No. You'll be in the, you'll be in the wave of people that are outside that first wave to know. Okay. Um, so everybody please shower this man with roses, give him <laughs> all of the love in the world. Um, when it, whenever he's, uh, whatever you're up to next, I cannot wait to promote it as my own. Uh, cause I I'm excited for you. Um, but yeah, man, I love you a lot. I'm going to miss you. Uh, it was an awesome journey. I feel like uh, the betting show, uh, it was actually the best version of the betting show, better than I could have ever imagined that I think you really added a lot to it. But it's just been good to be your friend, man, and talk to you a lot. And I'm going to miss I'm going to miss seeing Lucy on a random Monday morning uh, and just kind of kicking it. But Two years, two years in a job can lead to a lifetime of friendship for sure. I have, I, I had jobs. I'm, I'm now, you know, in my mid thirties, I've had jobs, you know, 10, 15 years ago, still very much on active text threads with people from these jobs when I was like 22, 23 years old. And, uh, you know, I used to hang out with everyone I worked with. It was like, that was my Friday night was everyone from the office went out and get a beer. I'm not at that point anymore. Right. I have a family, I have a child, I have a, I have a different social style, but that doesn't mean you can't take one or two people from each job that you have and make a lifelong friend. And I do believe that we've got something here that's going to last well into the future. I had, I had uh, someone hit me up recently. My first job in Hastings, Nebraska, the main anchor, he's retiring in St. Cloud, Minnesota after 22 years in news. And he was, he had been in it like four or five years when I got in. But we, we were talking about how in Hastings, Nebraska, we used to do bar crawls to like the three bars that were in town. Sure. And like every Friday, Saturday night was like out drinking with people at the station. And that's definitely something that you get when you're younger. You know what I mean? Where you just every every waking moment is I need to go out with my friends. And yeah, it changes over time. But it's been cool, man. Uh, I have no doubt. And I also think that the next time uh, we need to have a big hangout, me, you, and Westbrook, uh, and watch some football on a Sunday. That'll be Absolutely. Cool. All right. Uh, oh, I have a question about this. Mm. How many of these four David Ingberg lines that you do, do you come up with them beforehand? Do you come up with them on the spot? Is there like a Chuck Norris website that you've been <laughs> secretly using this entire time? That's a great question. Uh, when they first, they started happening organically because I was doing them to like make Westbrook laugh initially, right? And then it became a, a regular feature and you enjoyed it. So then I started writing a few and I kind of had, if I came up with something walking along the street, I would just like, I had a, a like a, a Google document that I would just like add. So I, at some point I had like upwards of a dozen or so just good ones that, and then you blow through them. If you're like, Hey, we have to record three on Monday because I'm going to be going on a honeymoon. And then I would like blow through all of my good material. And then uh, once in a while, sometimes I would come up with one during the podcast, right? If you said something, I know there was, there was at some point you guys were debating pecan versus pecan. And mm. so I came up with like a joke based on that throughout, you know, so there, there were a few. And then when that would happen, I'd be like, great, I can save this other gold one that I came up while, you know, with while driving. I can save that for next one. So is there still a doc or like what, like, do you happen to have a bunch laying around right now? No, I came up with the one that I was going to use for today and then I uh, stopped came, coming up with them because uh, you, you just don't need them after this. I just want to hear it for David Ingber. 
I used to think that red lentils and brown lentils were an entirely different species. It turns out that red lentils are just brown lentils without the tough outer shell. As such, they can be used for things like soup or dal, and they actually become creamy when you boil them, and they actually take about a third the time. So I'm never going to brown lentils ever again. Red lentils are uh, the way that I go. Can I ask, so like the abstract nature of going with lentils on the final one. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you'd be expecting some like post life advice. That's so good. That's so good. I will will say uh, that arguably your most valuable asset that you brought has been your reclassifying of the correct way to cook eggs. I think it changed people's lives. I think that they'll never look at at, uh, an egg again. Um, But I love you, buddy. Love you too, Lef. I'm going to fucking play poker soon. I fucking promise. Now we're talking. All right, bro. Oh, I'm the L-E-F-K-O man. Peace. Oh, and uh, yeah, the podcast will be back soon. I promise. I just don't know what it's going to be like. But it's going to be, it'll be interesting. Okay, we'll see you later. Bye.